0: So if you are a guest with us today, there's a few of you, as well as anyone who might be at home, um, earlier this summer we told everyone, we gave everyone 20 topics, and we said, um, pick your top 10 topics that you would like to see preached about this summer. And so we're working through those top 10 su- topics, and actually there's 11 because the number 10 was tied, and so we're doing that. So th- there have been things like, we spoke. Um, one of the topics was abortion, the number one topic was uh, a predestination. We did that a few weeks ago. We've done the topic of the poor and the homeless. We've done the topic of finding God's wisdom. And so there's been a number of them we've already done. We still have a few more to go. Today's topic is, was number seven in the vote count of it? Today's topic is social justice. And so that's what we're looking at here today. Now, A few weeks ago, when we looked at predestination, we set that discussion in the context of God's glory. We said to fully be able to interact with predestination and the related discussions, because that's what they always are, right? The related discussions about that topic, we said you have to have that in the context of God's glory. It gives it shape. It helps us stay within the boundaries. It helps us to understand it better. It helps us to come out in a better place. Today, I would like to say for us to be able to have this discussion about social justice and come out of it with, in, in a good place and with a good understanding and all, is that we need to have this discussion in the context of, of God's authority, of the authority of his word. So first of all, we want, I want to say it this way. Our church constitution says this about this this is this, this and I want this to be the context and the beginning for our discussion. It says we recognize the Bible as the only source and final authority for doctrine. Nothing else. Only the Bible. We believe every person is created in the image of God and loved by God and must be afforded compassion, love, kindness, respect, and dignity. Hateful and harassing behavior or attitudes directed toward any individual are to be repudiated and are not in accord with the scripture nor the beliefs of our church. We further say that we believe that the Bible is the supreme and final authority of all matters about which it speaks. So that's where we begin. That's how we we come to a place so that we have a groundwork for this discussion, so that we know that it's going to be a bumpy road, hang in, strap down, please stay seated during this flight, okay? And I also want to say that my intention today is not to offend anyone, or to make you mad, or to misrepresent anyone, yet this topic not only allows for that to happen, but it encourages that to happen. So it's possible that someone will be offended today. As I've said on other occasions, if you're offended today, you should please, I'm imploring you, come to me and explain that to me and help me to understand it, because it might be that I need to learn something in that, all right? So I'm asking you that if that is the case, that you come to me and you speak to me about that. Um, So it is possible that someone might be offended today. By something I say, or I didn't say, or that I should have said, or that I didn't go far enough, or that I went too far. But this is the main thing. Let's just all agree that this is a minefield that we're walking across today. And it's my hope that we all get to the other side safely, all right? Now, having laid that groundwork for our discussion, let's discuss some terms. First of all, justice. Justice, as defined by Merriam-Webster, is the maintenance or administration of what is just especially in, in the impartial adjustment or conflicting claims or the assignment of merited rewards or punishments. There are, there are a few of you out there that big words, like me, big words are cloudy. all right. So I, let me just work through this with you because I took me about five times to read that before I got to where I think it means. Basically, it means that justice means it is maintaining or it is administrating good and right and proper moral behavior. That's what just is. Just is good and right and proper moral behavior. And so justice means we're making sure that good and right and proper moral behavior is happening. It also means that that good and right and moral proper behavior is happening when there is a conflict of claims or when rewards or consequences need to be distributed. That they'll be distributed from a place of moral correctness that has been agreed upon. Now, um, just, there's the definition of just. It means conforming to a standard of correctness and acting or being conformed in what is morally upright or good. That's what just is, all right? Biblical justice is based on the character of God himself. It's an outflow of his character. It's an outflow of all of his attributes. He is one who is able to be perfectly merciful, perfectly graceful, perfectly just, perfectly right, impartial in every aspect and form. He is not swayed by how many followers someone has. He is not, he's not concerned with the office they hold or their balance sheet. None of that influences his decisions. He judges mankind on whether they broke his law or not. That is his singular issue that he judges upon. His law is the standard of correctness that we saw a moment ago. It's the standard of correctness is God's law. And he is the judge that is able to administer that impartial adjustment of conflicting claims and rightly distributes rewards and consequences. The difference between the two definitions of justice is that one, the first one, is applied and intended for the laws of man specific to a jurisdiction of a state a city or a nation laws are different among different townships you might be able to shoot fireworks off at our hours of the night at any day of the year in some townships but not in Newtown township because they don't like that up here all right and so that's the way that laws are different man's laws apply differently in different places in different you know in general there are some tribes in Southeast Asia still, in the, in the Pacific Islands, where that, their law is that it's still okay to kill people and eat them. That is agreed upon there. I don't agree with that. I hope you don't either, all right? But the law of God in con- is, is different in that it is constant. It has been for all ages, for all of history, and it does not change. It does not change whether you're in Erie and Jaya or whether you're in Paris, France, or Newtown, PA. It doesn't, it's not different. Now then, let's define social justice. And to accomplish this, I did a random search with Mr. Google, and I just typed in, define social justice. And it popped up with more than we all want to know, right? So I took the first one, which is the Wikipedia answer, and it says that social justice is justice in terms of the distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society. Now there are other definitions as well from a host of other sources that I went through and I sort and I, I dug through and looked at them and all, but nearly all of them come back to having these words in it, maybe in a different order, and maybe with a few other words, but this is the gist of that definition that is across the spectrum. I went, to, um, I, I went to the United Nations. I went to the John Perkins Foundation. I went to the San Diego Foundation. I went to a host of places, ACLU. All these places looking to see, is this definition correct or is this definition um, incorrect? Is it a, an anomaly? But to the best of my investigation, this definition is pretty much accurate and agreed upon. But you're going to, I think this is amusing. I hope you do too. I found it interesting that the best source for the definition of social justice was not the ACLU or was not the United Nations or anything. It was Investopedia, the financial website. It had a great summary With all kinds of related topics, with all kinds of related documents, substantiating documents on it. That was very, very good. And I am grateful for Investopedia in my research this week. And so these are some of the things that I pulled out of it. And I had a lot more in here. And then I realized how long the sermon was. And so uh, you can go there and find the rest of it on your own, okay? But social justice refers to a fair and equitable division of resources, opportunities, and privileges in society. It emphasizes fairness and how society divides its social resources. And there are three primary areas, but they're not limited to, but these three areas came up consistently in every definition or any discussion of social justice. They were gender equity, racism, LGBTQ rights, discrimination, they are the, free, the most frequent topics that are addressed or issues are, that are addressed in the context of a definition of social justice. Now then, there are some who have a much wider net than these three. One side had 15 different issues that it was seeking um, to find, have justice in, from climate justice to reproductive right justice to all kinds of other things. And so there is a lot out there that social justice advocates are working towards, not just these three. But these three come up the most often, and these three are the ones that we bump into as a local church more frequently. So, now, why would a movement such as social justice be a topic that has spawned books? I don't mean a few books. I mean a lot of books. Publishing houses are built on the books on social justice, Why are so many sermons been preached? Why have conferences been dedicated to nothing but social justice? Even going so far as to causing great, great, great division and conflict in churches across our nation. And when I say that, I would be able, if if I wanted to go there, and I just don't want to today to keep us on topic... But some of the churches that we would say are great churches, some of the churches we say, that's a church I want to learn from, those churches have gone through the throes of suffering the consequences of choosing to take a bite out of this topic because it turned around and took a bite out of them. So let's hope that's not the case today. Don't we all want to be treated fairly and lovingly and with dignity? Do we as Christians want to see resources wrongly withheld from people based on their religion, their race, or their, social, or their sexual orientation? Should housing and health care, an equal pay and job opportunity, be determined by where someone lives, the color of their skin, or their sexual preference? We cannot deny that any of that, that all of that happens. We cannot deny that all that happens. Because at the heart of man, that heart is evil. And it does often choose to relate to those around them in ways that are wrong and discriminatory, doing harm and hurting often innocent people with little or no affinity or discretion with who it hurts. Because of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, the evil that resulted from that, injustice is a part of life from the earliest days of recorded history, and it will be the part of life through the end of history. It will still be there. And the goal, their goal is to fix what is broken. There is nothing wrong with that. That is admirable. And it's safe to agree that much of what soci- social justice advocates point out as broken is indeed terribly broken. Racism is wrong. In every form and fashion. Discrimination against women is wrong. Equal pay is appropriate if you're doing the same job. Or what other indiscretions that might be meted out to women. Treating others with malice because they choose a different lifestyle or have a different religion is wrong. And God agrees with that. That's where we get the sense that it's wrong. Because in Leviticus 19 That says this, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Proverbs 29, 7. And Proverbs is full of this. I didn't give them all to you because, again, it's just too short a time. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no concern. Proverbs 29, 7. Deuteronomy 19, 16, 19, and 20. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land the Lord God is giving you. There's just a few verses right there. And then finally, one more. Whoever says to the guilty, you're innocent, will be cursed by the peoples and denounced by nations. But it will go well for those who convict the guilty and rich blessings will come upon them. Many, many other verses. Matter of fact, if you even think back to our time in the Sermon on the Mount, and there, even there, Jesus is teaching about partiality because he talks about how the Pharisees would do things to gain favor among the people. That's this that's this that fits in this big pot we're talking about here today. So God hates injustice. There's no question about that. And as you review those passages and so many others, it appears that God and the social justice advocates seem to have a lot in common. So what's the problem? Why are we talking about this today? Well, just like injustice has been around from the beginning of time, so has mankind's big ideas. We're going to fix this. So just to give you a few examples of that, you know, these things that someone thought up and said, this is a great idea. This is going to fix this problem. Let's do it this way. But the problem with so many of man's big ideas is that they're in conflict with God's big idea and purpose. For instance, Abraham, you're going to have a son, but my wife can't get pregnant, so I'm going to do it with Hagar. That's going to work, right? No. That's not going to work because that's you having a son or having a child with that woman. I'm going to make it, I'm going to perform a miracle in your life. Mankind thought it was a great idea to build a tower up to the heavens. God didn't agree. The nation of Israel says, We want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. We want a king. Give us a king. And they got Saul. Not a good idea. And not only that, every king after Saul, whether they were good all the time, whether they were good some of the time, They were all bad some of the time as well. And most of them were evil to the core. So these big ideas go on and on and on, including the most famous big idea and the most consequential big idea, which is, is, I can earn my way to heaven. That's the big idea that's the biggest problem. I can earn my way to heaven. That big idea right there, it says this. It says, I can do enough good works to make sure that God approves of me and lets me come into heaven. I can do enough good works to help God absolve my sin. I'm a part of the solution. And in God's book, we are never a part of the solution. He is the only one who resolves our sin problem through the death of his son Jesus on the cross. And we are the benefactors of that. And so I can earn my way to heaven is the biggest big idea man has that is the most consequential. So social justice is another form of man exerting himself on God, establishing a justice apart from from God's justice, and one that man agrees with, that distributes justice and rewards and punishments the way that man wants it to happen. Now, that is not true in every case. But it is true enough that it's a problem with the movement overall. And let's just pause right there and say this. This movement, like I said, it goes from one issue to 15 issues or more. This movement right here has the potential for being difficult because what we're having to do is address this in a big context as a big movement, even though there are people within the movement and even factions within the movement that are probably doing good work. I'm willing to say that. I'm sure it happens somewhere out there. And so I don't want to take away from that. But what I'm addressing is the more pernicious, is the more difficult aspects of the movement as a whole, and the ones that we bump up begin, and the ones that we need to say, that's not right. And the ones that we need to address why the movement as a whole is difficult and divisive for Christianity. So I'm, going to, I'm very willing to admit there are, some, there are good things coming out of the movement. Somewhere, somehow, I just don't, I can't argue against that. But that's not, quite honestly, that's not what we're highlighting today. For, now then, so... We cannot, uh, part of the problem is that we cannot extend rights and reward some social justice goals that would extend approval to lifestyles and choices that are absolutely in conflict with the Bible. It is wrong. It is wrong. It is wrong to hate anyone who is from the LGBTQ plus movement. It is wrong for churches to stand out in front of any place and say, fags are going to go to hell. I have a fear that there might be more gay people going to heaven than those people at that church. The people who do that stuff at Bucks County Community College do a disservice to the kingdom of God. And they will answer more harshly than many other sins, I believe, personally. That's kind of not in the Bible. I'm not sure. I kind of just think that, okay? All right. I'll hear from the elders about that. <laughs> Scott. All right. And, and so because someone, because someone has taken a stand or has a conviction that is counter to the Bible, that in no way means that we can be hateful or mean-spirited or demeaning to people who are different or take a different stand. So it's wrong. It is absolutely wrong. And we should be grieved when someone bursts into a nightclub and randomly begins to murder people of the LGBT community. It is wrong to to deny services to someone because of their color, their skin, their sexual persuasion, whatever it may be. It is wrong to do those things. And where it involves us, we should say that's wrong. But it is equally wrong. To applaud boys or girls when they decide to identify with the opposite sex. As the opposite sex. It is equally wrong to applaud drag queens at the library. It is equally wrong to mandate that our daughters must share restrooms with biological men. And the list goes on and on and on and on. But while those things might be wrong, that does not give any excuse for pro- improper behavior. How do the goals of this aspect of the social justice movement impact the local church? It's only fair, and it's and this is how it. Does it. So, in other words, how does that stuff impact the local church? Well, because. What the goal of this is, is that if we're talking about fair and equitable, then it's only fair and equitable that churches hire gay pastors and staff. It's, it is, as already been defined, and it is in many places already hate speech to say what I'm saying today. The city of Houston already tried several years ago to gather sermons to analyze them for hate speech to have consequences for those sermons. They lost that battle, but they will be back To fight it again. It has impacted our churches as more and more pastors become more progressive and revise their doctrine to teach that such lifestyles are approved in the Bible. Remember, by their definition, by their own definition, that many stated as true, social justice refers to fair and equitable division of resources, opportunities, And privileges. And so that means that they should have these issues in social justice. They should have the same opportunity to stand in this pulpit, the same opportunity to, whatever the case may be, as anyone else has. And to deny that opportunity, that's where we butt heads. The social justice movements, at least in some instances, want to establish a justice apart from God's justice that meets their agenda and helps accomplish their goals. Goals that in some cases are considered as sin by God, the impartial judge. Man is building another Tower of Babel. Man is accomplishing his goals with another Hagar while he's trying to establish his goals and his plans. Movements like the social justice movement elevates mankind in such a way that we don't need God's justice because it's really not tracking with who we are and where we are in history. Because you need to be on the right side of history to be on the right side of these subjects. And God usually, interestingly enough, the God of history is often considered on the wrong side of history. How weird is that? So social justice says that we don't approve of God's standards or the way he does it, so we want to go out and do it on our own. So in regards to race, how does that one factor into the local church? Well, one of the ways that it factors in that I have had to have discussions about is that there's a new metric now for what it means for your church to be godly and holy and right and successful, and that is this metric of of, um, multiculturalism. You see, I'm of the opinion that faithfulness is the metric that God uses to evaluate churches. Now, there are some churches that say it's numbers. I would disagree with that. But 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 I believe that we are evaluated by the way that we are stewards of the gospel, the way that we are stewards of our money, the way we are stewards of our time, by the people who get saved, by people who hear the gospel, by people who are getting served, by people who are serving, how we are the light to the community, how, many, how we make new disciples. Those are the metrics that I think are important, that I think that the church is going to be evaluated on. I will wholeheartedly, I cannot wait Cannot wait, cannot wait until I am before the throne with myriads and myriads from every tongue, nation, and people group. That's going to be normal. That's going to be wonderful. But for right now, this church represents our community here in Newtown Bucks County. And it's not, and it's not an error and it's not wrong for, for, because you guys are in it. And someone else is not. We are not any less successful because we're not more multicultural than a church that is very multicultural. Matter of fact, if we were going to represent our, our cult, our, our, our demographic, our ethnic demographic here in Newtown, Council Rockbucks County, we have our Ukrainian brothers and sisters. They help us out. That's really good. We would need more Chinese and more East Indians, Indians whose heritage goes back to India. Because those two cultures, those two ethnicities, are prevalent in our district and in our community. They're the highest ethnic minorities, apart from the 88% white folk who live in our community. We're not wrong for being white and being in our church. But it would be wrong if we excluded anyone else. It would be terribly wrong. So this metric that your color test is one that is not biblical. As a matter of fact, There are articles after articles and books after books and conference speakers and blog posts and video sermons and you name it, someone has said it somehow, somewhere that if your church is not multicultural, you are failing. You are a bad church. I think that is an outgrowth of the social justice movement. Matter of fact, you even see this right here. In this statement right here, where it says that Jesus was a man of color who was murdered by law enforcement and state-sanctioned violence for the insurrection against the Roman Empire. That is being preached in our churches, and that message and others similar to it are. I cannot abide by corrupting the gospel and the sacrifice of Jesus who willingly laid down his life to that message right there. But that, while it is extreme, perhaps, is the message that many feel we should be preaching. Meanwhile, Paul says, ah, I missed one here. Paul says, I'll get back to this one in a minute. Paul says that in Galatians 3.28, that there is no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female for all are one in Christ our in Christ our citizenship is no longer Ukrainian it is a heavenly citizenship out of Philippians 3:21 it's no longer texan how about that all right it's no longer anything else but we are all one in the body of Christ all of those distinctions have fallen away and our unity is not built around whether we are a certain color or a certain agreement on issues or anything else. Our unity is built around a singularity of the gospel and that anything that would take away from that gospel is wrong and it's divisive and it needs to be addressed. Pastors and evangelical leaders are being forced to apologize are worse yet to have to step out of ministry because they've failed intentionally or otherwise to not say the right thing and to affirm social justice principles and conclusions. And as a result, pastors' convictions are moderated, they're minimized, they're, they're softened. And I will tell you with the experience of this sermon here, every syllable of their words are measured and counted before they're spoken. Because cancer culture is real. In addition to the two topics I've mentioned, we don't have time to address the way the gender issues and the role of women in ministry have impacted the church. We are going to do that in future sermons in this series. The outcome of all this is that churches and pastors have increasingly become beholden to standards that are not biblical or godly. They are man-made standards that are not found here. And those standards are ones that are they're being held to meet, in other words, in, in order to be qualified to fill the pulpit and lead a church. There are various standards of justice that are determined by mere men and women, and the standard of justice is a moving target in the social justice movement. It can be changed and be based on who's offended and what the offense is. Yes, there were churches that absolutely, wrongly approved slavery 150 years ago, or whatever the number might be. Wrongly did so. But my fear, not only my fear, but the the fact is that now many churches are approving of things that are wrong as well. In the name of justice. And this new justice, much of it, is outside the bounds of Scripture and theology. And worse yet, demands to be held to the same esteem as God's Word. And actually, in many cases, informs God's Word and corrects God's Word. Perfect example of that. You can't call me a liar on this one. Matthew Vine's commentary on sexuality in the Bible. Where he has published a commentary that helps us to understand what the Bible really means in regards to homosexuality. So, the Bible is not sufficient. It needs people to help it be informed to stay on the right side of these topics and the right side of history. That is an error. That is sin. That is heresy. Because what we saw a moment ago, if I got my slides right or wrong here, let me see what I got here. What we see right here is that all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training righteousness, so that the men of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. You do not need Matthew Vines to help you do that. You do not need the authors and the influencers a social justice to help us be adequately equipped for the good work. We have, the, we have the, the absolute urgency to be able to read the Bibles for ourselves and to apply it to our lives. So the, the passage that's most often used in this discussion that we need to touch on and need to point you to is Micah 6.8. And he has told you, oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God? Notice in this passage that there are two aspects to this being right and justice. One is with mankind horizontally and one is with the Father vertically. Um, another passage um, uh, Zechariah 7.9, this is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Hosea 12.6, but you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. God is concerned about justice, but it's his justice he's concerned about, not what we think it should be. Isaiah 117, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And then finally, the word of our Lord himself in Matthew twenty two thirty seven 37 through 39, Jesus declared, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. And then from the Sermon on the Mount, we just heard this, we just studied this a few weeks ago. However, you want people to treat you, so treat them. That's how justice, God's justice, gets extended. That's how it happens. You see, there's a prescription for the ailment. The the prescription has been written for the ailment, but the patients don't often want to take it. In other words, we have all of this instruction about how to seek justice, how to love others, how to love others better than ourselves, and yet the problem is, is that too often, church, we haven't done it. And so we have our young people who are leaving the church by joes because we talk about justice, but we don't do it in our personal lives or any other place. And so a large part, if we want to fix the disillusionment with the church, then it starts with our lives personally, and then it starts with our lives collectively that we step into this space and we love others the way we would only be treated ourselves. There are absolutely broken things. There are absolutely things that are wrong. There are absolutely people who are being hurt and crushed by, man, by men and their, their, their efforts, their, their rules, whatever it may be. But God's solution is the solution that all of mankind needs. And each of us may take the responsibility that is ours And love our neighbors as ourselves and love mercy and love kindness and care for the widows and orphans and the marginalized and treat them the way that God wants them to be treated. Treat them the way that I want to be treated. And yet still stand our ground against false teaching and know it when we see it. I close with this comment. God is the ultimate judge because he will not care how nice a person you are or how much money you have ever given away or how often you attend church, none of that stuff matters to him one single bit. If you were to read Micah further, they say, all right, what do we need to do to appease you? Make more offerings? Do we need to go as far as to offer our own children to you? What do we got to do to be right with you? And so mankind is still doing that all the time. What do we have to do to be right with you? How much more of my money do I need to give away? How many more good things do I have to do? Do I need to crawl across glass? What do I need to do? And he goes, don't do any of that. Trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what you have to do. And we go, wait a minute. I want to be a part of that equation. I have to do something to be in that. And he goes, no, that's not allowed. God's justice is this. Is that if you or I have never placed our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins then we stand condemned to eternal punishment. But the judge who gives us that condemnation, the judge who gives that sentence, is also the greatest, most glorious judge that we've ever, ever, ever imagined. We can't even imagine it. Because the same judge who says, you're condemned also says, I have mercy, I have grace, I have forgiveness, I have a way out of this for you. Let me give it to you. So through the blood of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, that is grace and mercy. Grace, we didn't earn it to get it. Mercy, we deserve something different. And God says, this is what you deserved. I'm giving you something different. I'm giving you the opportunity to believe Jesus. That is the kind of justice that God dispenses. Why would we ever want to lick... <laughs> I, the words that came in my mind just now were not church appropriate. Why would we ever want to go and lick the toilet bowl for justice when we have Jesus who gives us the ultimate justice? And yet, that's what mankind does. I don't care where I get it as long as it's mine. And that's always going to be broken and disheartening, and disillusioning. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, if you've never understood that you will stand before a judge someday that is not going to judge you but anything but on the decision of what you did with Jesus, if you've never, ever placed your faith in Christ, someday you'll stand before a judge who says, Jesus died for your sins. Did you believe that for the payment of your sins? That's the only question he's going to ask you. He's not going to ask you if you're involved in the social justice movement. He's not going to ask you if you're a pastor someplace. He's going to say, what did you believe about Jesus? And in that moment, there is only one answer. There are no ifs and or buts. The dog didn't eat your homework. You You weren't late because your car ran out of gas. There are no excuses. It's just, I did not believe it. And the answer is, in that moment, tragically so, in that moment, the judge will say, totally and partially go away from me I do not know you at the same time that judge will have some people come before him and he will say what did you do with my son what did you believe about him and you will say I am not worthy but I believe that Jesus died for my sins and he will say Enter into my joy. Nothing else will matter. That is justice that has equal parts. That's what we want here, right? Equal, equal treatment. That is justice that will equally be merciful, graceful, forgiveness, and just. If you don't know him today, do that today. Do that in this moment. As I pray, just cry out to him. Tell him that you, you need, you just talk to him. Come up and talk to me. We'll talk about it. We'll make sure that happens here today in this place. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we come to you and we confess that in our own efforts, we constantly are fouling things up and doing things wrong. And Lord, there are some people that I believe intentionally are opposing you, in the context of social justice. I believe that there are other people who want what's right and they see this as an opportunity. May you divert our gaze off of all of those things and divert our gaze onto you and your justice and our responsibility to those issues. Father, rule and reign with the words that we've just heard, the words I've just spoken, the passages that we just reviewed, and use them to guide us all toward being in a right relationship with you and with others. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.